I believe that song is the anthem of this church. I don't believe that the name of the church is by accident. Greater life He gives. You offer greater hope to this community than any other church. Because He is the greatest King. And the greatest Lord. And the greatest Savior. And His name is to be exalted. And when we exalt Him, He draws all men unto Him. Remain standing. It is my extreme honor and privilege to bring a great man to this platform. And two of my best, best, best friends. I don't know how that equates in emoji or anything. Are going to be on this pulpit. One is going to be preaching and the other one is going to introduce the speaker. I stand among giants when I am in their presence. And I understand that we are the fraternity of the luckiest men alive. They did it before I did, and that is they married up. And I guess they realized I did the same thing and allowed me to be a part of that. Your pastor and the first lady of greater life are certainly great, great friends. And that means more to me than anything else that I could say about them. Is There is safety in their presence. And I appreciate Brother Mark Hughes. He preaches with vision. And he tackles the unbelievable with the boldness of a Peter. But he exhibits the faith of an Abraham. Would you put your hands together and honor once time again our friend, your pastor, Reverend Mark Hughes. Thank you, Brother Milligan. I am humbled by all that's happened this weekend. And I am grateful for 25 years. But I tell you what I really would like. I would like for this man who's about to come to preach us into our future. Amen. I love the history. I love where we've come from. And I am eternally grateful. But I believe we stand at a very important time today. And I believe God wants to preach us into the next phase. When they asked me about a year ago as they started planning for this weekend, before a storm and all the other things that happened, they wanted to know who I wanted to come and speak. And they mentioned a few officials. And I said, no, 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 no. 
Not that I don't respect those men, but I wanted men to stand in this pulpit that's been with me for that long 25-year journey. And one of them coming this morning, Brother Randy Stanton, has been my dearest and closest friend through so many ups and downs. And uh, we've had some fun times together, and he told a little bit about that. I'm trying to keep all that under the blood, and he just won't leave it there. But I would not give a million worlds for the friendship that God has brought to my life because of this man and what he has helped enrich my life. I'm grateful. I know time is of the essence today, but I want him to be able to preach the word to us today. Are you ready to receive that? Would you clap your hands this morning as we bring our minister, Brother Randy Stanton from Westlake, Louisiana. Let's give a hand praise unto the Lord again right now, and I want you to turn your thoughts and attentions, Lord, to your spirit now. Jesus, we turn our hearts now. Brother uh, Landon had spoke to me also, said, if he don't dismiss the children, would you please do that? So if the children are supposed to be dismissed, now would be the time for that to happen. Amen. Last night we had a great evening, and we did spend a little time in trying to have a little fun, and I don't take anything back. I'm not sorry for anything I said. I could tell a few more things that y'all would cherish for the next 25 years. I left out the good stuff. I really did. What I told last night was just, that was old stuff. I do have some newer stuff. But I have not come today to take time with comedy, and though we could do so. But I do come this morning with a great deal of respect and honor is due to this church for the way that you greeted us when we came to the parking lot, through the doors. We walked in here, and then, my dear brother, the way you led worship, awesome songs that you sang, the way with which you selected them, has all set us for this moment Last night I stayed up for a while and was kind of unwinding. And before I went to bed, I'd ask God, give me a word. I got a word for you this morning, Brother Hughes. First of all, if you will allow me just a moment, I know you're standing. Isaiah chapter 54 is the chapter that this is not what I'm preaching from, but this is for your pastor, and I know that he would be familiar with many of the passages or script verses in this passage, but it starts out and says, Sing, O barren thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry loud. Thou that didst travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married, Wife saith the Lord, but then he gives the instruction. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand, 
and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. The last and final verse of that passage, which all of it is good, says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I went to bed. And I woke up this morning early, and I don't do that. But I did jot down some things on my phone when I lay there awake for a moment. And this is the words that I feel the Lord gave to me for my friend today. The Spirit of the Almighty is upon thee, and his sword is in thy hand. The mighty man that has risen against thee to defeat thee, to destroy thee, And to bring thy mind to the depths of confusion, I have already defeated him. The city has been delivered into your hand. Do what is in thine heart to do, for he has heard your cry. And he has given you the victory. Worry not, faint not, but move forward without looking back. For he has intervened and he has given you the victory. I speak these words first of all to your pastor today, and he is my dearest of friends. I don't do this lightly. And anyone that knows me knows that I will not speak as though the Lord has given me something, but what I firmly feel he has given me. Now I'm going to preach this morning to you, the church, for a little while. And I may miss it with you, but I ain't missed it with what I just spoke to him. I know where I stand. I want to ask you before I read my text this morning, I want us to take just a moment longer. I want you to put the pictures aside. I want you to put aside all of the joking. And I want you right now, if you would, just lift your hand to the Lord. And whether you feel to pray aloud or not is not important to me, but would you out of your heart right now ask God to speak to you? Holy Spirit of the living God, I'm asking of you to fall fresh upon us today. I have called out upon thee, Lord, for that anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. The anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. I call upon it today. In thy great name, thy holy name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now, I apologize, those of you for the media, that I did not give these scriptures to you earlier. But two passages that I want to draw your attention to found in Exodus chapter 27, verses 1 through 4, 1 Chronicles 28, verses 16 through 19. In Exodus 27, verses 1 through 4, and I will read here in the word of the Lord. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with brass. 
And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans, all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a great network of brass. And upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. First Chronicles 28, verses 16 through 19. And by the weight he gave gold for the tables of showbread for every table, and likewise silver for the tables of silver, also pure gold for the flesh hooks and the bowls and the cups and for the golden basins. He gave gold by weight for every basin, and likewise silver by weight for every basin of silver, and for the altar of incense, Gold by weight, and gold for the pattern of the chariot and of the cherubims that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. I want to speak to you today about the importance of the preacher. Amen. Everyone said in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. I give you my apologies that I will not be able to be here in tonight's service. I would so look forward to hearing Brother Clark, our mutual friend. But due to the fact that I had thought this was kind of called off, and I just gave my secretary the approval for them to do my birthday celebration tonight, and I mean, two hours after I gave that approval, you called me, Brother Landon, and, and began to ignite that fire again because your pastor had told me it's all off. So I planned accordingly. But it is Sister Stanton and I's greatest joy to be with our dear friends and uh, appreciate them very much. In a very thoughtful book concerning spiritual life, I read the story of a man by the name of Carlos who was a Spanish monk. He lived most of his life outside of his native country working in the work of the church. And in his recordings of some of the events that happened in his life, he he told about a story of one day while he was traveling the countryside. He noticed that there was... A, a, a silence in the air that was kind of just eerie feeling. And he didn't know exactly what had started this and when it began, but he recognized that something was not exactly right in the atmosphere of the country about where he was riding his bicycle on his way to his next place appointed to be. He suddenly became aware of the silence even more when he noticed something moving back and forth in a swaying motion. And upon closer observation, he recognized that it was a snake that was coiled and ready to strike. And in its grasp or in its sphere of influence was a bird that was very beautiful with colorful feathers But the bird was not acting normal. He couldn't seemingly move. He was paralyzed. 
his eyes were in the eye gaze of the serpent, and the serpent his, and all the while the serpent was moving and swaying back and forth, the little bird seemed to become more paralyzed by the moment. And Carlos, the Spanish monk, made this statement. He said, I begin to immediately wonder what could I do to help this little bird. For if I came too close, I myself might come into the uh, range of the serpent's strike. So fearful of that, he stood still for a moment longer and he said, I know what I will do. I will act as if I am preaching my last message to one who is about to slip beyond the unreachable place of eternal lostness. So he began to wave his arms and he began to scream and he waved his arms and it worked. The serpent's gaze was broken and when it was broken... A little bird began to flutter and fly away, and he felt so strongly a sense of satisfaction, for he had spared the bird the sudden and sure death, and he had robbed the serpent from its sudden and sure meal, and he felt as if he had succeeded in his day. The bird was paralyzed and hypnotized by something very common in nature, something that is there often. And Carlos gives us the story of what I believe is ever going and happening in our world today. When I drive up and down any one of the interstates or the beltways around Houston, I am constantly seeing people. If I go to Lake Charles, if I drive to Alexandria, to New Orleans or Baton Rouge, wherever I go, our world is filled with those who are locked in by the gaze of the serpent. And while the serpent may not have struck them yet, there is seemingly a state of hypnosis that is in our world today. And so the importance of the preacher waving his hands, screaming, trying to break the gaze of the serpent locked in upon the innocent of people that are all around. The question comes into my mind when I tell that story and when I come to you to preach today, how in this human experience that we are living, all of us are living today, how can I break the power of the gaze of the serpent that is upon the innocent of mankind. How is it, other than waving my arms and screaming, and, and the Bible said by the foolishness of preaching, he chose to save those that believe. What we all are wanting today and what I desire to do today, for the next few moments, if I may, is to show you the value of your pastor, of the preacher, of the preachers that come through this pulpit, those who stand. And many times you're not really sure about what they're saying because the reason is that you have been hypnotized by the things that are around us in this world. Now, Satan uses many different ways. He is... 
He is a, a, a he is truly a champion. He has been in this battle for many years, and he has many different ways in which he captures and hypnotizes the minds and the hearts of the people. The greatest friend and most important one in your life today, while many do not see it that way, in fact, I heard one day while with my good friend, a man make a statement who really wasn't important to me at all, but I heard what he said. I'm not going to allow no preacher. And he went on with this statement. It struck me in the depth of my heart when I heard that because instantly my mind began to go back to the thousand and one things throughout my lifetime that a preacher was able to break the stare of the serpent long enough for me to be liberated just for a little while longer. I recognize that this world I'm living in has got its sights set upon me. I recognize that as much as I feel today if the Lord were to come this moment, I would be ready to go with Him to the best of my knowledge and my ability I am seeking to serve God. But I want to tell you the reason why I stand before you today is because God put a preacher, a pastor, into my life, and I am thankful for that important one that has been put in my life. You see, it is the responsibility of your pastor to shout loud enough and long enough and with enough different ways to capture the attention of the serpent to try to break the gaze and the stare. I wish that I could say as a pastor that every time I get up, that I'm able to do it with enough force and wave my arms enough and make enough off-the-cuff statements enough to somehow awaken the little bird that has been locked in to the gaze of the serpent. So I come to you this morning for a little while to give emphasis to you on this, your 25th, anniversary of this church and this pastor of this church, I come to you today and maybe in the next few moments we can somehow come together and recognize truly the importance of the role of the preacher, the pastor that God has given unto this church. You can tell how much God loves a people by the men that he sends their way to speak into their life. And you know as well as I do today because we're all in the mindset to be appreciative unto brother and sister Hughes. But brothers and sisters, there ought to be something break out in your heart today when you think back to when how you your feet was well nigh gone and slipped. And somehow or another, the preacher came. He stood on a chair. He waved his arms. And he awakened you and brought you back to an altar again. And you ought to know today, but for the work of the preacher, you would not be in this house this morning. Come on, would you clap your hands and give a shout unto God today for the work of the preacher. The ministry, the ministry, such an important role in our church. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, 
gives us a clarity of understanding from the Word of God. And it tells us, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When we get to heaven, brothers and sisters, every one of us from this preacher standing before you today to the one at the very back of this auditorium, you're going to have a preacher to thank for you being in heaven. It will be a preacher, thank God, that had enough nerve to come along and speak to me and shake me up and awaken me from the trance that I found myself in. The Word of God tells us that you cannot be saved without a preacher. He did not say that he chose by radio or that he chose by XM Sirius Radio. Amen. He did not choose those means to save you and I. But 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Whether you understand it or not, whether you agree with me or not, you're going to have to have a preacher. Amen. We've been celebrating 25 years, but I'm laying that aside right now to tell you if there is anything you ought to get excited about more than the beautiful singing that happened this morning. You ought to thank God for the five-fold ministry that He has established in this church to save you and to pull you out of the trance that you find yourself in. Amen. Thank God for a pastor. Thank God for the five-fold ministry that has brought its influences into my life. A preacher is not perfect. He has frailties and shortcomings as much as any other human. But when he steps into the sacred place after a time of prayer and studying of the Word of God, he steps into a place where the anointing comes upon And I will tell you clearly, you can tell when there's an anointed word and when there is just a word. Amen. I thank God for the work of the anointed preacher. I will tell you in the hour that we're living in, our adversary is working more than he's ever worked. It's a no-holes-barred, all-out attack upon the ministry of the church. We are faced with things today in the ministry that we have never been faced with before. We have things that are transpiring at a faster rate than ever before. Social media is probably the greatest curse that has ever come unto us as a people. Not just the church, but as a people. Our nation is divided today because of social media. There's things that can be pumped out and it can be belched out. And once it has gone forth, the poison effect is already at work. Not only is it work as, as a nation of people, but in the church. Now churches have been brought closer together than ever before. And we see the things that we know that pastor has taught us was not right. 
And because of social media, we have fallen prey to the serpent that causes us to compare ourselves among ourselves, forgetting that the Word said, in this we are not wise. But the pastor has to come back and wave his arms a little bit more and scream a little louder to do his part to break the attack of the serpent, the enemy of our soul. He is attacking the family structure today like never before, and not just in the church and the layman, but among ministers. Just this week alone, I watched on social media a preacher giving a confession unto his congregation and apologizing for a failure 20 years ago in this city area, pastoring of a larger church in another state. And then almost without a breath, I read of another one who had instantly become a sensation on social media because of his stance against political correctness and things in our nation that is dividing us. His attacks on things like Kmart and Starbucks became very notable, and many thousands of people duplicated what he had already posted on social media. Don't you think for a moment it didn't make him a target? But now he stands having to state that his wife and he had divorced. And there was an attack on the family. A lot of uh, things were stated that were not truths. False, false impressions of him and his family. And so that's going on. I serve on the Louisiana District Board. Your pastor serves the South Texas District Board, as does Brother Milligan. And we sit in places to hear and to have to listen, and we have to make judgments. This is notable to you and to I because of the attack of the enemy. Let's put the blame where it really belongs. It's not on the preacher because he's preaching the Word of God. It's not just on us as people, because I believe that in this house this morning, this building is filled with people that want to serve God, that really want to be saved. But the things that we're dealing with is the things that the enemy has devised in these last hours to divide us, to torment us, to get our minds all mixed up so that we no longer are seeing properly, but we're looking through the eyes of one that has been hypnotized by the eye of the serpent. I fight battles. I have fought battles recently, things that I did not plan, things that I did not design, problems that I did not conjure up out of my own heart or mind. They just happened. Where did it come from? I must put these things back in the place and the position where I know they've come from. Can I tell you today that there are some assets that we have in greater life and in churches around the country if we would just simply go back to the things that made the church what the church is today? 
I can tell you that God has given us clearly in the Scripture text that I've read for you today three very effective ways in which we can break the staring gaze of the serpent that wants to destroy us. When I think about these, I must first of all give to you the altar. The altar was something that it is clearly stated was to be built. Exodus 27, 1 through 4, God gives us three steps of what an effective altar builder would do. He said, first of all, to build an altar. Why are we going to build an altar, Brother Stanton? Why? We're in a building that's temporary. Well, I come to break that down for you right now and tell you, this is your church right now. This is not just a gymnasium any longer. This is your church. I came in here, and I know... I understand this is a day of festivities, but I stepped right around this corner, right over here by this door, and I made an altar while I was standing there. And you know what? God met me here this morning. There are many of you that are fighting battles, and you've felt and know that the serpent has gazed upon you even this week, and you have felt the effects of it. You want me to tell you what you're going to have to do? This church didn't come about just because a man got together with a few people and put a little money together and decided to build a church. I know this man. He built an altar. He built an altar because, folks, there is no church in existence. That is a great church. I just poured water all over your pulpit. There is no church in existence that, but what it's a great church, it is built with the foundation being the altar. The altar is what we are built upon. God tells us to build an altar. You know why we need an altar? Because that's where all things start from. And then when we build the altar, we better make sure that we've built it broad enough for other people to be brought in and brought upon that altar also. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord? Give me just a moment. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to preach through this. I'm going to get through it. I feel like God's given me a word for you this morning. I'm not nervous at all. If you are, just go ahead and get over it because I'm, I'm good right now. Amen. Without an altar, we have no church. One of the biggest curses that I see going on among apostolic churches today is the loss of the altar. The lack of importance of the altar. We begin to say that it's not important for our times of prayer. And we get so busy. My Lord, I'm telling the folks over here, it's really busy. This city here is busy, busy. But we need an altar for more than just ourselves. We need an altar that we have built, and we need to build it broad enough. It's got to be broad enough for the drunkard. It's got to be broad enough for the drug addict. It's got to be broad enough that we can have convicts, ex-convicts that are upon that altar. Even the successful businessman, the lawyer, amen, the doctor, all of them need an altar. And so for you and I that are in this house today, we've got to build an altar and we've got to build it broad enough. But not only do we need to build it broad enough, we've got to make sure that we build this altar altar long enough. It must be long enough to reach into the depths of sin to pull and extract out that one that is going to be lost for eternity. We've got to have an altar that is effective. 
I will now come to another portion of that text that I want to tie together for a moment today. And I told you at the onset the title of this, The Importance of a Pastor. There is an object that was mentioned there that I never really looked at very closely, but it's called the flesh hook. The flesh hook and the altar were instruments that were used together. There was a purpose. The altar obviously has its purpose, but the flesh hook has its purpose as well. In Exodus chapter 28, it is there that David laid out the plans for all of the furnishings there of the, of the altar and the tabernacle, the temple, and how it was to all be laid out, the utensils that was to be used there. And he gave a specific weight of gold for the tables of showbread, and he did likewise the silver for the tables of silver and the golden basins and, and then the gold by weight. And he did the same for the silver basins. And for the altar of incense, he required refined gold by weight. But for the flesh hooks, David required pure gold. There was a distinction there that David made about these flesh hooks. For these flesh hooks were to be made of pure gold. The purpose of the flesh hook was to place the smoldering sacrifice back upon the altar's fire. Because inadvertently the sacrifice was while it was there upon the altar and it was cooking, inadvertently the sacrifice would somehow or another by the fire's heat begin to move off of the center of the fire toward the edges. And as it began to move off, the priest would take the flesh hook and they would reach over across that altar that was burning, and they would drag that sacrifice back up into the middle of the flame because there was a purpose there. It had to be done. In Exodus 27, the flesh hooks were overlaid with brass. It was merely a tool for a purpose. There was no need for it. It was it was long and it was practical. But in Chronicles chapter 28, we read there that everything had a measure of gold or silver except the flesh hooks, and they were made of pure gold. There was a distinction there. David knew that it meant, amen, to move away from the flames of the altar. Amen. There had to be a priest that would reach in there and pull it back, and it needed to be pure. David understood what this was all about more than anyone. For there was one in David's life by the name of Nathan. It is listed in Second Samuel chapter 12. It was there that David, because of the gaze of the serpent, David had got out of sort. David had taken things into his own hand. And the prophet of God came in there and said, I've got a story to tell you, David. I've got a story to tell you about a rich man that had many flocks. And I got a story to tell you about a poor man, amen, that had nothing save one little ewe lamb. And then I've got a story to tell you about one that he called the traveler. The traveler represents the enemy of David's soul. And he says, you know, David, you're that rich man. And you know, David, that one little ewe lamb was Bathsheba. And, and, and she belonged to the poor man. And there was a 
traveler came by and the traveler began to capture your gaze. I'm going to stop and preach here for just a little bit right now. Amen. I wonder how many of you know about the traveler. I can tell you recently the traveler came and knocked on my door to try to discourage me and tell me what I'm doing's not really working. Your pastor has been there. Amen. Look at now again having to go through the process of rebuilding and preachers get discouraged just like other people do. Folks, nobody in this house is exempt from the traveler coming by to get a hold of you and to pull you aside. But I come as a preacher this morning to shake you a little bit, to wave my hands a little bit, to somehow break the gaze of the traveler that wants to rob you of your soul. I come to let you know today, amen, that if you will listen to this preacher this morning, there is an importance of the preacher, for we represent the flesh hook that's trying to pull you back on the fire, to try to get you back up on the altar again. So when Pastor Hughes comes in here and he's preaching with such a burden, and I've listened to your pastor preach many times, he's the best of the best. You've got a great pastor. Amen. You don't even recognize the greatness of the man that God has sent here for you. I've been with him at times when we were letting our hair down and having fun, but never one time have I seen him in a compromising position that he forgets who he is. Amen. I've heard him early in the mornings praying, and I've heard him late in the nights praying and reading the Word of God. Why? Because God has given you a flesh hook of gold. And when he comes with a burden, church, you ought to rise up and thank God again. Amen. For the flesh hook that's pulling you back unto the altar. Amen. My dear brother, I don't know you. Amen. But don't let anybody ever discourage you from getting right down here and directing the choir and worshiping. What was it that put you here? It was a flesh hook that pulled you down to the altar. Amen. You young men sitting on the front row, I watched you this morning. Come on, guys. It's time to get into the altar and get on fire. It's time to get out here and get on fire. You know, you see your example over there. And when he worships, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you to see the example and want you to be like him. He's trying to pull you back on the altar. Every time I preach, I'm preaching with a purpose. I'm preaching to pull you away from the gaze of the serpent today. Come on. I want you to know today it's time to awaken yourself and say thank God for the authority of the preacher that God has put in my life. Clap your hands and give a shout out unto the Lord right now. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. You can remain standing. I'm not going to go much longer. Amen. I'm drawing this to a close at this very moment. Amen. In this altar this morning is an option. I know that we want a certain preacher. And we like a certain style of song. And a certain type of of atmosphere in the church. Whatever happened to us just being concerned enough and sensitive enough to recognize what is being said. Let me tell you what a flesh hook did for me one day. We have another mutual friend. 
And one day I was, I had been in quite a funk for quite a while. Anybody ever been there? Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll just go to the garden and eat a worm. Big, long, skinny one. A little short, fat one. My, watch him wiggle and squirm. Anybody ever been there? It's at those times right then when you don't want to listen to the preacher. You don't want anybody telling you it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. You're going to, you can do this. One day I was out with a mutual friend, and we were going down a dirt road about 45, 50 mile an hour, too fast. But we were trying to get there in time to make the hunt. And I was moaning about something. And this man is not Brother Clark. You're going to think it was him because it fits his personality. It wasn't Brother Milligan. It wasn't Pastor Hughes. But a mutual friend of ours. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, for no reason at all, except my moaning, whining, belly aching, complaining, negativity. He slams on the emergency brake and rams that truck into park while going down the road 45 miles an hour on dirt road. When we got through spinning and nearly took out the fence and ended up in the ditch, at the top of his lungs, he yelled and said, Randy Stanton, I'm sick of listening to you bellyache and whine and complain. He said, God still loves you. Get over it and get over it and get over it again. He hurt my feelings. I start crying. He said, get in the back of the truck. I can't even stand to look at you right now. I'm telling you, folks, this ain't his personality. But I shut up. And for the next three days, I didn't say nothing. By the time those three days was over, I woke up saying, ain't God good? To give us so many blessings. Hallelujah. Brother Hughes, don't quit yelling. Don't quit reaching. Keep on reaching out there. That ought to be what your song is this morning, Pastor. Go ahead and reach out there again. Even if you hurt my feelings, Brother Hughes... Reach on out there. I know that I have the tendency to get off of the fire. I know I have the tendency to move away from the altar. But, Brother Hughes, if you'll just go ahead with that flesh hook and pull me back one more time. I thank God for the pastor this morning. I wonder right today if you would do this for me. Out of a show of solidarity... Would you step out if you're physically able to do so? I know some of you maybe physically can't get up here. But could I pull you into this altar this morning? Could you make your way down here for a time this morning? 
I know I could have preached a more convicting sermon. I could have done something differently that would have had us all in a different frame of mind. But I purposely feel like God directed me in these thoughts today. And I've been true to what I felt the Spirit of the Lord move on me earlier this week. As we come around this altar this morning, if you crowd in as tight as you can, I want everybody to be able to get up here that wants here. I would like everybody to be able to move themselves in here tightly. I was here when there wasn't even one-tenth this number. I preached here at times when at best there maybe was on a good Sunday night, there might have been 35, 40 people. Then I've come back at later times. Brother Hughes, come up here beside me, my brother. Amen. The flesh hook is working. You and I have shared many times, and I know you get weary. But I want you to look what the work of a flesh hook is doing. I'm looking at people that I know you've been pulled out of places that if I only really knew the story. If I really only knew the story of what was shared with this man in an office somewhere, you were ready to give it up, completely throw in the towel, but he reached there one more time and he pulled you back. said, come on, let's pray about it again. God's got an answer for us. There are some impossible situations that are even in here this morning. And that's what Brother Stanton is trying to do this morning is to share with this pastor and say get back into the altar folks the things that you're faced with right now I firmly believe that the making of the future of this church is going to be Harvey you're going to look back in a a few years and you're going to look back and you're going to say that was a line that was a place where it was a line was drawn and we thought it was meant to destroy us but God meant it for good He meant it to lift us to a higher place. But folks, in the midst of all that, that's that's the prophetic in the faith. But in the midst of all of that, the work of the pastor is still important. So when he's yelling at you, when he's saying, I wish you wouldn't, you know what's happening? That flesh hook's reaching out there. He's pulling you back up on the fire. Why don't you thank God for a pastor right now? Hallelujah. Come on, let him hear your heart this morning. God, thank you for the work. Thank you for the work.